Welcome to Ladies Get Action. The podcast where two best friends talk about getting action, movies. I'm Rebecca Ringley. This is Rin Olson. And this week we watched Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> um, yes, we did. Um, before we get into it, though, how are you doing, Rin? How's your week been? Big life changes. Why, what a nice lead in, Rebecca. I am coming to you live from my apartment in Los Angeles. So <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Although hilariously, like the lead into that was two days worth of driving, arriving on like Wednesday afternoon, crashing at the apartment with no furniture. Thank goodness somebody, you, said like, <laughs> get up, go to Target, get an air mattress, get some yes. food. Um, so I did that and then came back and then I went with my sister to Catalina Island where she was running her very first marathon. Um, so I went as support crew or as I learned from my cousin who's big in like the show dog world, support crew is called being the bucket bitch. Oh, what does that mean in the dog world? I think you just carry like water buckets and food buckets and like cleanup buckets. For dogs? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it sounds appropriate. Before, yeah. Before, after, during, then when like when they entered the ring. You know, my sister had rented a tent cabin, which is actually very, like, was very nice. It had um, its own cots and, like, a wooden platform, which was a good thing because we got absolutely poured out. Like, it was raining so hard um, for most of the weekend. So it was really nice to come back to my unfurnished apartment, but, like, dry. And I spent the week working and also starting to furnish it. So I'm doing really well. Yay! I'm so excited for you. Me too. I just got this fantastic vintage like leather couch off Facebook Marketplace, which was really fun. Wait, what um, makes it vintage? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people on Facebook Marketplace admittedly do throw that term on everything. Like, oh, vintage. I'd say like maybe sort of Art Deco esque. Oh no. I mean, I think I don't think you'd want a real vintage couch. You know, oh, like I think couches are the kind of thing you want to get like within the last, you know, 15 years max. Well, yeah, you'll have to tell me when you see it in person. Like these couch cushions <laughs> are pretty heavy. It is fantastic, though. Like, I really love it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been my week. And tomorrow I'm going to go to an apartment sale where I can get a bunch of like plants and rugs and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. How about you? How has your week been? It's been good. Um, it's been full of adventures. <laughs> um, just a lot of running around and seeing friends and went to the movies the other night and saw Scream 4, which was fun, and narrowly missed running into Keanu Reeves, which is oh, still what premiere? devastating. Um, they were doing the John Wick 4 premiere at oh. the same movie theater I was at minutes before we got there. And we asked the guy when he took our tickets, because there was security everywhere, it was like locked down and we could barely get upstairs to get to the theater. We asked the guy and we're like, is Keanu here? And he's like, oh yeah. And he looks so excited. He's like, yes. I think oh. he just left though. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's because Keanu Reeves is universally, universally loved. Well, and I think he had seen his movie before. So like he, you know, he did the pre-stuff. He walked the carpet and then he probably like left two minutes into the, the screening starting because basically when we got out of our movie, everyone was getting out of John Wick 4 and they were all like dressed to the nines and all these like execs are leaving and fancy looking people. Um, so it was exciting just to be around, but we did miss all the stars, unfortunately. Shame. Yeah, it was sad. I'm curious if you saw this because um, our conversation the other week about Ozempic, did you see the Gwyneth Paltrow, like what she's eating, like interview? No. Oh God, it's gone viral. It's like this, this interview, I guess, for her podcast or a podcast with her doctor or a doctor. And she's like sitting outside. It's like this video and it's on TikTok. And she looks like frail. She's talking about her wellness routine, which is she eats nothing at all in the morning. She has a cup of black coffee, drinks a bowl of bone broth at 12. And then she has only vegetables for dinner at five. And she also does an hour of movement which is Pilates, a full hour of Pilates or Tracy Anderson or walking. That's what she said. Um, because God forbid she like lifts heavy weights, Rebecca. Well, just all of it. 
is so absurd. And everyone's like, okay, like she's describing an eating disorder and like glorifying an eating disorder again. Yeah. And now she's had to come out and be like, that's not how I eat every day. And like, sometimes I eat French fries, but like, this is just for me. And it's not like advice for anyone else, but it's just so crazy. Just so wild that like the two options are like, I eat burger and fries or like I eat bone broth and vegetables instead of being like, I eat healthy balanced meals, which is like protein, vegetables, and carbs, maybe three times a day. Yeah. Three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. No, all these like dietitians and like, you know, influencers and all kinds of people are coming out saying like, this is not like, this is the, that's not a meal, like a bone broth, a cup of bone broth is not a meal make. No, it's not a meal make. Also, I shudder to think of like the state of her stomach after that cup of black coffee in the morning when there's nothing else in there. She doesn't put anything in there afterwards. No. It's really hard on your intestine and like stomach lining. Oh, yeah. It was just really bleak. And then it's just like, you know, just even more of like glorifying that, that idea. And then there's articles, like counter articles coming out there like, yeah, of course she's describing her eating disorder, but at least she's honest. I'm like, really? Like, I'd rather she not talk about this at all. Like, she probably is just going to starve herself and that's just something that's going to happen. But like by making this like wellness video about it, she is selling that idea. Mm-hmm. This is like a diet you could emulate. Right. Well, it's like, um, I mean, so many diets, quote unquote diets we've seen before, like the detoxes and the... Mm-hmm you know, lemon water and yeah, what have you. It's just, I can't decide whether I'd rather, I, I mean, like, I think like you just said, it would be better if people just didn't mention it, I guess. Or would you rather have them be like, yes, I eat a very balanced meal, but obviously they're like an, on, on an eating disorder. Like lie about it. Yeah. I don't know. I guess just like, don't sell it as like your wellness routine that when you're in, when you're like, your job is influencing people in wellness. Like her job is like her yeah. income is goop and like you can buy yeah. the bone broth on her website and you could like, you know, and this one influencer, um, the TikTok or just this woman, I don't know. Um, like she self-identified as a fat woman, but she was saying like, I'm a fat woman and look how good my skin is. I am five years younger than Gwyneth and I look amazing. I'm not wearing any makeup and Gwyneth is spending all this money and spending all this time trying to look young and her skin looks like shit because she's not eating any food. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember during my college years when I had like so many of us like disordered eating. Yeah. And my brain space was so bad that yeah. like, it's just one of the things that I would never, ever want to go back to. What's all you can like, think about. It's like all you obsess about. And then you add on anything else, like any other sort of like thing you're dealing with and it just goes all downhill. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Everything else is so heightened because you're not eating. And then like the control stuff goes in there too. And it's just a nightmare. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to roll out of that one into Mission Impossible. <laughs> Rebecca, how did you feel about this movie? Oh yeah. So, you know, full disclosure, we did watch this film once before. We were trying once before to get this podcast off the ground. So we've seen this, but it's been a long time. And there are certain things that I misremembered or mm. thought um thought happened differently or thought ended differently particularly um but I loved this movie I loved it so much it made me tear up I thought the villain was terrifying and perfect I thought Tom Cruise is incredible I just I loved it top to bottom what do you think I love this movie I love this movie so much it was an absolutely enjoyable ride I have one issue with it, which we'll talk about at the end. Yeah. Um, But like you, I mean, my first sentence is, did we watch this? And then Philip Seymour Hoffman is so scary. Terrifying. He's definitely up there in like our great villains. Yeah, he Um, might be at the top right now in my mind. And did you notice it was directed by J.J. Abrams? I did. Yeah, I loved it. It was just, it was such a tight script. It all made sense. And even like our secondary villain was really scary in a really effective way that like other movies and actually even other I think Mission Impossible movies have tried to do but I think this movie just really nailed it it also really solidified like the the team aspect Mm -hmm. I feel like with a lot of action movie series that we watch 
there's always a moment when the director in charge or whoever is like overseeing that movie in particular just like figures out how to gel the team and even though not all of the team members go on to the next few movies we really got that team aspect that I love and I, I know you know you love so much too oh totally yeah absolutely well this is like such it feels like such a rare movie and like we're gonna jump around but like it's such a rare movie for the way it ends and that's what I misremembered because I I conflated it with what happens in the next film, which is that he doesn't get to keep his happy ending. But in this film, he does. And like what, you know, not to get like sentimental, but like what a blessing that was. Like how beautiful that he gets to have like his happy ending in this movie. This was also, I think, I remember watching it um, for this session uh, and just clocking that like, I think this is the last movie that we see in this series where he has sexual tension with like a female co-star he's so, i mean he sort of has it in the next few ones but like not even sexual i'd say like romantic oh yeah i, I mean thinking. that's that's something we can get into more i think in the next ones yeah once we revisit them one, yeah but this one he gets to keep his happiness he gets to keep his romance um but this is also the last action movie that we see for a while just in sort of like the greater timeline of action movies where that happens yeah well that's exactly what i'm saying is like it sets up so beautifully just how dangerous him falling in love is, right? Like what a huge risk that is. And there's so many great lines about it. And they really, really layer that nicely. So you know it's doomed. And even without the in media res beginning, you know it, it can't survive. But it just feels so hopeful and beautiful that this film ends in a note of like, no, this time it did survive. And they're going to be okay for now, even though we know eventually they won't be. Yeah. Across the board, too, the relationships in this movie are so strong. Yeah. Um, even with, like, Carrie Russell's character and yes. Tom Cruise's character. And it didn't feel cheap or, like, just thrown out there. I truly believed that, like, he actually cared about her. Like, he had mentored her. They had a relationship. Um, and the film showed it to us in so many examples that felt really supported. Yeah. And it was so expedient, too. Like we got yeah. that information so quickly, but also in such a way that you really believed it and felt it. And you knew that she trusted him and the little bits of flashbacks we got at him training her were really moving. And you could see that they had like this intimate relationship and it was smart enough to have Luther call it out and say like, were you having sex with her? I loved that. Me too. That, that was like, and then he goes further and he says like, if I'm not like, if, if I don't ask you who will, Yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. It would have been so easy to have the film just not address it. And it'd be like a lingering question or something we're supposed to ignore. But I really love that that was addressed and put away. And it's devastating when she dies. Like, yeah, you really feel it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, should we start with the opening sequence, which God, even I think the way they did the two opening sequences, because the opening credits bridge or sort of frame two very distinct scenes. So like the first thing we see is like the producer's names. We see like Cruz slash something else, um, the director. And then we smash cut to Philip Seymour Hoffman torturing Tom Cruise's wife. Yeah. And we get that whole countdown scene and we see Tom losing his mind and like, not to be, I don't know, sentimental, but like, some of the best acting we've seen from Tom Cruise too, I think like yeah. so good where he's like it's bargaining really- and lying and trying and begging. He's really, really raw in this scene and like honest and just like, what can I do to save this person that I love? Yeah. And it feels incredibly high stakes. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is very to the point. He's just like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. Don't think I won't like, I'm absolutely going to kill her. And that is, is what it is. And then we hear him, we hear him like fire his gun. And then we cut to the rest of the credits. And then we come right back in when the credits play over the scene of their engagement party. And it's like the happiest moment of their relationship paired with this tragic ending, what we think is a tragic ending of their relationship. And, be, and we've never seen her before, but so quickly, it tells you everything you need to know about their relationship, especially that engagement party scene, which was so fun. It was so fun. And they have great chemistry. And also 
like this movie, like I clocked a bunch of um, big names now. I'm blanking on his name, but he's from Breaking Bad. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Aaron mm. Paul something. Paul. Yeah. Aaron Paul playing sort of like a like a kind of stoner brother of um, to, to Michelle Monaghan's yeah. character. Yeah. It was just immediately so layered. Like you see that he's just completely in love with her. And at first, you know, the thought crosses your mind or cross my mind, at least that like, is this a job? Like, is he, mm. you know, is this part of a, some kind of job where he's seducing her? And it's so quickly revealed that it's not like when you hear that he has this fake career that people are like, like the men are going, Oh, that's boring. And the women are all like, I love him. As who would, he's so charming when even when he's talking about like the department of transportation how like traffic has a pattern and it recognizes patterns <laughs> yeah that has like a heartbeat and the, yeah yeah oh my gosh and right and the guy thinks he's cheesy and the women are like in love and then even for her to have like her little friends it, was, it just felt like such a real moment yeah and there were so many like there were very quick lines that like it didn't need to be like a huge scene or anything but it was like he used to be in the field. Now he's retired. Right. Um, which he's we just get training later. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he and Michelle Monaghan, Monaghan uh, met at a lake skydiving. Even introducing all these characters that we really never see again, with the exception of Aaron Paul's brother. Like we see her sister, who's talking about what this means to see her, her like her baby sister happy and like finally in a relationship. And yeah, it really creates all these layers and makes it so believable. Yeah. And all the while there's this like feeling of dread too, because you know that he can't keep this life. Yeah. And also like, how would he even, it's, it's amazing. He's made it this far. Exactly. Like, like how has he maintained a relate a romantic relationship living with somebody this long when he is, he is still in, in the company to be clear, he did not retire. He's just not in the field any longer. He's yeah. He's still working, but just as a teacher training, so he's able to like work a nine to five, it looks like, and then come back home. <laughs> I wonder why he didn't like, instead of saying, I, I mean, I guess Department of Transportation is a government job, but why not say something like, oh, I'm in the CIA. Is that like too close to home? It must, that- he must have been worried it would like put her at risk somehow or scare her. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And it's immediately like so tense because he's lying to her actively. Like he gets a call from what he thinks is his buddy at the agency. He dumps out the ice, pretends he has to go get ice to have an excuse to call him and meet him in person. And that's where, you know, it's dangled in front of him that his agent's been abducted, mm-hmm. that he trained. And does he want to go rescue her? He's the only one for the job. And she's the first person that he mentored that he recommended to the agency. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's such a great inversion of expectations too when it comes to Lawrence Fishburne's character. Mm. The whole mm-hmm. movie, I'm like, he's bad. I just know it because I'd forgotten, right? It's like, he's bad. He's definitely bad. Because the way he's immediately, you know, suspicious of Tom Cruise and blaming him for things that are with, are outside of his control and just being like this bureaucratic hard ass and like, oh, he's got to be bad. When in reality, he was just trying to do his job as we find out later. Right. I thought that was a really smart twist too. Yeah. They do such a good job of making him seem like, or make, you know, pointing out that we would automatically think that he is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really like, okay, spoiler alert, that like our real villain in the agency is Billy Crudup. Um, there have been so many like little layers with him too. Like Lawrence Fishburne's hint that like, oh, you only got this job because your daddy plays golf with the president. Right. You know? which is a great character thing. Or the several times that we think he's helping Tom Cruise by not, you know, going through the proper channels to send him on missions when Lawrence Fishman's like, Hey, like, did you get clearance to do that? Or like, why do you have a team here? He's like, Oh, I'm like, you know, tracking on that bad guy, but he's just like doing his own thing inside the agency. He's the rogue agent that Lawrence Fishburne reprimands Tom for being later. Yeah, and it's funny because I also thought that this was the movie where we get Tom Tom Cruise disavowed. <laughs> but I think that's the next movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also so one of the parts that I a couple of things I really liked in the gas station scene, which is where Tom Cruise goes after, you know, 
needing to refill the ice and runs into Billy Crudup, who invites him back to the team and tells him about Carrie Russell. Um, first of all, I loved seeing the disposable cameras as like a plot device. Yeah, that was cute. And the other thing is that we really get a moment to see where Tom decides that he is going to choose the bullets and he is going to complicate his life. And he also thinks, like, you can see him holding on to these two thoughts of, like, I'm going to choose this, I'm going to do this, but I can still hold on to this very normal nine-to-five life with my wife and, like, building a family and this community, basically, that we see. It's like the two scenes at the very beginning we get to see in his face in the gas station. Right, and he does have to weigh for himself, like, am I going to go try and rescue this person? And you see the moment when he meets back up with Luther and his, his crew, He's excited to be there. Like he does look genuinely happy to be there and he's smiling. So it does feel like it is a little bit more than just the, you know, the guilt of now Carrie Russell is in danger and he trained her. It feels like he does miss it a little bit, but he also, like you said, has weighed out like, oh, I can be back tomorrow. Yeah. I can be back in like two days and she doesn't have to be any the wiser and it'll be just fine. And I can come in and out of this and go back to my normal life. That really humanizes this character for me because obviously that's not the case and everybody keeps telling him that but oh, because yeah. he wants it so much like he just thinks that he's like nope it's it's gonna work he's like in denial basically yeah he thinks he can keep this secret life and this public life that he really wants his other yeah. secret life uh, but he can't i loved seeing luther again that was really fun yeah me too um, so they go on this first little mission and Carrie Russell dies. And then before he goes in the second mission, that's when he does the like surprise wedding. I loved that scene. Oh, it was so romantic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get like a quick little hookup scene in the supply closet. <laughs> yeah. Which was sexy and fun. I mean, when I think about that scene in real life, like if you were her friend, I'd be like, that's weird what like you just married him in like the hospital in a a hospital room and because he has to go out of town and he's keeping a secret from you and you just said trust me like very sketchy that that made me think of killing eve where um sandra o's supervisor basically says to her like tell your husband you're having an affair just like pretend you're having an affair right like that is your excuse and that because that you can see it in michelle monahan's face that like um i'm saying her name wrong anyway um but you like you can see it that she thinks he's having an affair. She thinks he's cheating on her. Yeah. Or maybe he has a secret life somewhere else or like, you know, a family somewhere else or something. He does. Like, and he does. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, he, it's like he marries her to shut her up in some ways, but also because he's in love with her. Yeah. And he wants to hold on to this feeling, this bubble, this life that he has created for as long as he can even though he probably knows it's not going to last. Right. It's, it's essentially like a delusion. It's him deciding like, this is my real life and I'm going to create this thing and have it, but I'm also going to still do this completely other wild thing that are just totally incompatible. And as Luther said, and I wrote down, it was so good. He said, a normal relationship isn't viable for people like us. And Tom goes, I disagree. And he says, then I'm smarter than you. And he says, it's the dishonesty that poisons everything. Your relationship's now built on dishonesty. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I mean, That it's exactly what I would say the whole audience is thinking. Yeah. And just goes to show how smart the script is in saying that and having a character say what we're all thinking. And for Tom to be like, nope, I'm going to keep with this delusion. Right. He's like, I'm, I'm going to ignore that. And I'm going to yeah. have this anyway. And I think it's so fun of the film to say like, at least in this film, he does get to have, like his delusion gets cracked, right? Like he doesn't get to keep his two lives. He doesn't get to keep one of them sacred and safe. Yeah, Like both crash into each other. So he doesn't get to keep that, the innocence of that one idea that he could have this perfect life and be a different person. But he does get to keep his wife for now. But it's so temporary. And we know that it, like, I feel like even without knowing the next movie, you just know that it's, there's like a clock on it yeah the other thing I like about that too is um somewhere around this part in the movie um Luther asks Tom um why he liked Julia so much or like yeah what do you see in her 
yeah, what did he see in her exactly? And he's like, she reminds me of what life was like before we started this job. Right. Um, and so I love that he, like this, his two worlds crack, but not only does he let her in, um, but he kind of accepts that he, like he chooses her, ver- like instead of choosing the version of her that was pre all this happening. Right, right. And he, he ends up like respecting and admiring that she rises to the occasion when she needs to, too. Yeah, exactly. And then when she gets to meet his friends at work, I was like, I about to start crying. She's hugging everyone and they all applaud for them as they hold hands and walk out of there. It was so sweet. It was like, oh my gosh, that it really felt like he had it all for a minute. It also felt like this was a movie where we were getting really complex characters across the board. I think I mentioned this earlier, but like even the wife character, you know, Tomorrow War, she's like relegated to she is the wife. Whereas this, she gets to be a full person. I mean, to some extent. To some extent. She still is an accessory. She's still, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think- I don't know. The film has done a better job for me and like layering all these different things. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was funny with regards to like the relationships that they can't have, how John Jonathan Reese Myers is like, yeah, I'm like a hot 20 something year old. I don't need to have like a relationship. This works for me. He's like, I like it like this. Yeah. Yeah. But even for him, we see that like him and he and Maggie Q sort of like start something. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah, when they're sitting outside waiting for Tom Cruise to finish uh, um, base jumping off the building, she's, like, whispering something under her breath. And she's like, oh, it's a prayer for my cat when I was, like, a little kid to come home. And he looks at her and he goes, like, well, teach it to me. Oh. Um, and then Tom Cruise is like, we have to go. That's very sweet. I mean, the details in this movie are top-notch, too. Like, when um, his wife gets kidnapped and he goes into the hospital, I liked how he knew so many people's names. Because it's like, okay, he comes here a lot and he visits her a lot at the hospital. I was going to say to that, like in the beginning with them in the engagement party scene, we learn that not only can he read lips, but we learn the name of the lake where they met. And both of those things come back around later. Yeah. Where like when Ethan is being held by the, you know, IMF because they think he's the traitor and Billy Crudup is able to like um, have him read his lips to send him off on, on his next mission and then to like make sure that Julia is, is who she says she is. He asks her like the name of the lake where they met. Let's talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh man, okay. Scary guy. You know, the scene where Tom Cruise has him kidnapped in the plane, I thought was so masterful. Um, and because we started the film seeing just how vicious Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman can be, in the scene where he's torturing, about to kill Tom Cruise's wife, we know what he's capable of, but it's the calm in his voice and like almost like the sadness and the resignation when he starts speaking and he immediately says like, he's not listening to Tom Cruise at all. He's not answering any of his questions. He just starts by saying like, I'm going to find your wife and hurt her and make her bleed. And I'm going to kill you in front of her. I'm just going to do these things. Like, I'm just like, and he sounded almost sad about it. Just like, matter of fact, this is what's going to happen. And like, right. he wasn't fucking around at all. No, because he he almost does that in the climax of the movie. He does it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does kill his wife in front of him, to, for, by yeah. all means. Yeah. Um, And even after, like, when, he, when Tom Cruise dangles him out of the plane, I thought it was fascinating that he didn't scream. He didn't beg for his own life nothing well it was almost like he was waiting for the team to give him exactly what he needed which was ethan's name because tom cruise dangles him out of the plane philip seymour hoffman does nothing which at that point i was kind of just like yeah cut him loose whatever well i (laughs) wish he had i think yeah it would have been much better if he had killed him then because then luther starts screaming like no ethan don't do it you are not this man and that's how that's how Philip Seymour Hoffman gets his name and finds his wife. So I didn't catch that's how he got the name. I thought he got the name from the inside man at the C- the whatever agency. Oh, oh, you know what? Of course, that is, the, the movie wants us to think that's how he got the name, but he's always had the name. Yeah, I think he always knew the name. And I think yeah. 
Tom Cruise kind of realized that like, oh, something is wrong that you know my name. That's that's why it seems so scary, I think, for him. Oh, okay. I thought it was because initially in that moment that like Luther was screaming his name. Yeah, I didn't realize that Luther was screaming his name. I thought he was just saying like, don't do it. You're better than this. Yeah. Um, I wish he had. And then it was, it was interesting later that Philip Seymour Hoffman seems to have held on to that moment. And he says like, oh, the way you treat people when you don't have to be good to them tells you everything. And I'm thinking like, what? I was going to ask you what you thought about that line. Like, did you think that Philip Seymour Hoffman meant that Tom Cruise was treating him badly or like he admired? I think he meant that Tom Cruise was treating him poorly. Okay. But I think it's a strange comment to make when Tom Cruise could have easily killed him and didn't. And he showed in that moment, like mercy that Philip Seymour Hoffman has no interest in, in his own life. Yeah. But it feels like kind of like an abandoned character quirk that didn't pan out where, you know, the other reason, the reason that he kills the translator when, when he, when we think he's killed Tom Cruise's wife, it's revealed later in the film when they take off a face mask. And I completely forgot that too. I was like, she's dead. How is she dead? How is she dead? I know she can't yeah. be dead, but how is she dead? Um, they took off a face mask and it was the translator from the gala and they said, oh, well, she failed him because she didn't catch that um, the woman on their team was actually on their team mm-hmm. and you know about to kidnap him, essentially. It just felt like a, a character trait of like, oh, he won't stand for like either people with bad manners or people with people who fail him. Yeah, I read it. I mean, there wasn't enough there to support this, but I read it as sort of like Philip Seymour Hoffman saying like, we're the same. Like you think mm-hmm. you're above me, but like you would have done this if if your teammates hadn't been there to stop you. You would have done what I would have done or what right. I'm going to do. But I don't think it followed through on that. So yeah, I, I agree. You know, in terms of what it is, I don't think Philip Seymour Hoffman has like a ton of motivation to do what he's doing. Like, I, I guess we're not like provided with his motivation, just that he's like a vicious, vicious person. Yeah. And that's almost enough just because like, presumably there's a ton of money involved and so he's just there for the money it's just business which is why he can be so calm about it which makes him so unnerving and terrifying don't go off to your fake job conference just yet we'll be right back with more mission impossible 3 time to put on your face mask we're back i mean i also appreciate in this film that they don't even like you know apart from the the silly little monologue that simon pegg does about the anti-god they don't make any effort to explain what the object is they have to retrieve or what it will do which I loved and it was like almost a joke at the end where Lawrence Fishburne's like he's like what was the the rabbit's foot that we're getting and Lawrence Fishburne's like yeah I mean promise you'll stay and I'll tell you and so we don't get the answer I thought that was really funny because it couldn't matter less what the object is they just have to go get a thing and bring it back yeah exactly but so we never really understand what their agenda is outside of a, another monologue from the agent who's betrayed them, like the Billy Crudup, who's committed treason. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The double agent where he gives himself right away and says, calls uh, Lawrence Fishburne an affirmative action hire. And that's how you know he's evil immediately. <laughs> You're like, oh, he's a racist. Great. He's and- a racist uh, daddy's <laughs> boy who he's a racist but he said something about like imploding the middle east and then bringing troops back in to rebuild it with democracy or something some bullshit like that well he's one of our he's one of the people who believes in what i'm calling toxic democracy basically which a lot of times in these movies i feel like we see it and it's it's sort of like okay sure this is like a very big speech but in this it felt really grounded to me where you could see how again he's holding both these ideas of like well, the means do justify the ends. Mm-hmm. And he also thinks he's playing for the winning team, which I thought was interesting. What did you think about all of our action set pieces? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I thought they were fantastic. There's so many great scenes that were like really, really action packed from like the Vatican break in, which I loved. I loved and there was so much humor in this movie, too, which where it's not like over the top but it's it's super like deserved and makes sense and it's enjoyable and it adds to the movie and basically like the team feeling like in the vatican break-in we get 
Tom Cruise and Jonathan Reese Mayers arguing in Italian and like yeah. bringing this whole street into their argument, which yeah, is just great. really enjoyable. Right. And then there's like Luther's like scuba diving, like, and Maggie Q gets to be in a fancy dress. Like there's so many fun little parts to that scene. Um, the scene on the bridge I thought was terrifying. That was really, really high stakes and I'm and very scary. Yeah. Very scary. I mean, like that's the stuff of nightmares. Like they're on this bridge and this fighter jet basically takes out with missiles two major parts of the bridge. They're like stranded in the middle of this bridge. I don't know how any of those civilians got off of there. And they're like being fired upon and bombs are going off and it's all to to get Philip Seymour Hoffman out of their custody. But that scene was really intense. Yeah, and I liked that they showed a civilian who gets hurt too and like the effect it has on They showed the a couple of civilians getting hurt and like the the team helping them. But like there's so many civilians who definitely also died. Um, yeah. But it really felt high stakes because there's so many trapped people there and you're like very, very scary stuff. And then when he's dangling by one hand off the bridge... Oh, I know. And I liked all the detail in like the ruined bridge where you could see all the things that should make it stay together. But like from the force of this weapon, basically, yeah. to explode this bridge. Um, yeah. And then, then, of course, we get Tom Cruise's grip strength. Of course. <laughs> it's not Mission Impossible without that. Right. And then it's really, really upsetting when he gets it, when um, Philip Seymour Hoffman gets away. Oh, yeah. Well, and I love, too, that like when he's flying away in the helicopter after the bridge debacle, he doesn't gloat. He doesn't wave. He doesn't smile or smirk. He just goes away. Like he just stares stone- at Tom Cruise. Yeah, just stone faced. Like so scary. I know. Going back to the airplane scene, just thinking about like where he's like, "You made me do this," basically, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the same attitude he takes towards Tom Cruise throughout the rest of the film, except for that one moment in the torture scene <clears throat> where he's about to shoot Michelle Monaghan. And he does get very angry. It's like right before the count of seven. And that's when we see Philip Seymour Hoffman like lose it. Sort of. Yeah. But other than that, he does not break his facade. No. No, he does act like it's Tom's fault. And you could make an argument that it is just by the mere fact of having a loved one. The scene where they kidnap his wife is very scary too. That janitor coming up to her and like putting a sticker on her hand. She's like, oh, what's that? Like. Right, like, how cute. That's kind of funny. Why would you do that? And then her realizing it, like, realizing that she's been drugged. Because she's also a nurse, so she, like, yeah, probably knows what it is. Right, or she knows something is wrong. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many great, like, action sequences, too. Like, when he escapes the, um, the agency building, when he's in that, like, Hannibal Lecter, like, leather muzzle. Yeah, I didn't understand why they put, they put him in that, but... Maybe I guess they didn't want him to talk. I don't know. That I mean, a, he is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that was a great sequence. I didn't want him biting people, maybe. Because he does bite a couple of people. <laughs> it was also really funny. Like, at some point, he commandeers a, a walkie-talkie and pretends to be Lawrence Fishburne. And then jams the channels and puts on, like, We Are Family. Yeah. So, it, like, blasts to everyone. Um, yeah, and then he, he successfully gets away. Puts on a, a shitty wig and beard and then flies himself to China. No problem. Well, Billy Credup, we know, is like covering him. Oh, you think he helped him get to China? Yeah, because when he's in the like the Hannibal Lecter mask um, and Billy Credup is like mouthing where he has to go next. Yeah. Like I'm assuming that he arranged that for him. Oh, probably. Because Simon Pegg says he's like on the top of like the Interpol most wanted. Right, yes. So you'd think it'd be very hard for him to get to China, but yeah. That's when um he gets to China and Luther is there and he says, thanks for coming. And Luther says, that's my job. How does Luther get paid? Like, how is that his job? <laughs> well, this is yet another, you know, unsanctioned mission that Lawrence Fishburne scolds the um the turncoat agent about. Right. So I guess it is being paid for by the agency for Lawrence Fishburne to know about it and be annoyed. Do we think they're like salaried? Are they on retainer? They're definitely salaried, especially Tom okay. Cruise because he's like doing training. I hope it's more than 60000 a year. At this <laughs> yeah, right? Was that the first one? It was only sixty grand. That's right. That's so pathetic. Yeah, that's why John Voight betrays the agency. Makes sense. I would too. As we said, that's not enough money. 
when they pulled off the face on his wife, it was so upsetting. Yeah, I want to talk about that moment because that was the one moment where I was okay. Yeah, I, tell me. So I get it from like, I get it from the plot point. I get it from just overall. It made me upset that it was a, a woman of color, <laughs> like that she was the sacrificed item, or like basically, yeah, basically item in this, mm-hmm. you know, um, scene. We've seen this before in the second movie, and it's a guy, and it's still upsetting to see like surprise, it's it's a dead body, but it just felt like, of course, it's a person of color. All right, not that I should, but let me play devil's advocate for just a second and, and propose: Would you rather that role be cast to a white woman instead? No, and have that earlier, really part, like, and then she'd have an earlier scene, you know, where she doesn't get right, killed. Right. Like, I think I would, I would agree more if it had only been that scene. Like if, if she was like an anonymous person of color that was sacrificed, but because we saw her earlier in the film and she did have a role that we got in the speaking role and like, she was important in in a scene. I felt like, oh, okay. Like it's a callback to that moment and it makes sense why it would be her. So I, I had less of a problem with it rather other than like, if it just been like a random person we'd never seen who was also a person of color. I think that would have been problematic, but because we knew her character, I felt like it worked. Totally. Yeah. And I think that that does make sense. Oh, the the device in their heads, I thought was very effective as a, as a kind of like plot device, like, because we see it happen and kill Carrie Russell in such a horrible, scary way and a tragic way too, because they're like a second away from being able to just try and stop it and they don't get the chance in the big action sequence with Philip Seymour Hoffman, we know the kind of excruciating pain that Tom Cruise is feeling while he still beats him up. Right. And I also love that we saw it happen. Like we hear about how it happens, like, Oh, it's through the nasal cavity. And then we, we see it happen too. Yeah. So it's like very clear that this is a somewhat feasible thing. Right. Well, right. It, so we don't have the same question we had, like an escape from New York and escape from LA, which is, did they actually, do something to this guy that's gonna explode in however many minutes or yeah or is it just a fear tactic slight fun tangent i was at trader joe's the other day um getting groceries checking out and i was asking the cashier because i used to work at trader joe's and yeah sometimes i like to just turn around like turn that attitude back around um to my cashiers and so i was asking them if they had like any fun plans for the weekend um, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see these movies at the Beverly, New Beverly C- Cinema, I think it's called. But they were like cult classic movies. And um, he and another co-worker were listing off all the like the movie stars from like the 60s through the 80s mm-hmm. who were now like in their 80s, 70s and 80s who would come into the, to that Trader Joe's. Um, and apparently the woman who played the Duke's girlfriend in Escape from New York comes in. The Duke's girlfriend. Um, her, Maggie, remember in Escape from New York, the Duke. She's like the main woman that um, Snake hooks up with. No, not entirely. Anyway, she goes into that Trader Joe's, apparently. Um, but that came up and I'd mentioned I just watched Escape from LA. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, we really think Escape from New York is like the classic. And I was like, they're the same movie. It's the exact same, but okay. Yeah, it's just smile and nod and say, great. But I do want to go check out that movie. But it was kind of a funny... At least Escape from L.A. has some jokes. Um, But both are incredibly stupid. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I was also thinking about that moment um, when they're, like, at the very beginning of the movie, of this movie, when they introduced the idea that, like, there's something in her brain. How do we know? Right. Except for we had to see it. Yeah. Which is terrifying. No they, no, they say there's something in his brain, not her brain. No, remember when um Tom Cruise does the scan of her brain? Oh, no, like, you mean Carrie Russell, not... I thought you were talking about um his wife. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay. Carrie Russell, sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was so scary. It also just really shows how the villain sees people as items, basically. Philip you know, Seymour Hoffman? Like, yeah, as tools. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Did you think... It was weird or funny the way Tom Cruise was running, like in the China scene when he was running to get to his wife. Like his physical running? Yeah. I didn't clock that, but tell me about why you thought it was funny. <laughs> it was just like a Terminator would run. It was like his <laughs> body was 
very erect and his arms were moving like this. Yeah. Really, really. He was moving very fast, but it was very mechanical. Well, I can tell you from my um, years of high school cross country running that running erect is how you want to run. Like that is the um, correct form. <laughs> I hope he was also bringing his, his knees up really high. And like, it looks like it. Yeah. Effort. Yeah. Oh, it looks good. Like and falling that. through. I don't know. I don't know, but it was just a strange run. It looks like very Terminator. I have a question for you. How many skills do you think an agent of IMF needs to have to like be in the field? Because I clocked <laughs> uh, lock picking, speaking five languages, scuba diving, base jumping, helicopter flying, driving a sports car. Like, what do you think the resume re- like requirements are? Yeah, that whatever his training is must be so extensive and so long. Because like you also have to be able to make face masks and voice masks and, you know, do all the tech stuff, repel up and down buildings. While shooting. I mean, his wife is actually pretty well suited if they met skydiving. I know she's got the medical training too. And like, she yeah. can now learn how to shoot a gun. Right. Her CPR comes in handy. I mean, and she did great with that with the gun she did great yeah and then I mean just the scene where he has to trust her and like make her kill him like electrocute him and then revive him was so crazy and so great and it was a nice like throwback to when he asks her to trust him yeah she has to do that again but he also has to trust her yeah just the basis of a marriage right but their trust is like based on lies that he's telling her yeah she took her sweet time coming back to revive him gotta say I agree with that 100% I was like okay come on clock's ticking like I know she had bad guys to kill but like right he's been dead so go do that first also you're a nurse so I would think you'd want to go to the thing that you know how to do best versus like shooting a gun right but I get why she needs to do both right movie wise yeah it's funny. I know we talk, we talk, maybe talked about this in previous um, episodes of Mission Impossible, or maybe like this comes up in the next ones. I can't remember. Do we think the bad guys know about face technology? No, that he can't. Right? Yeah, I mean, story wise, he can't. No, he does. He does know about it because they trick him with his wife. Oh yeah. Well, I guess also in the bathroom when he sees like I mean, like Philip Seymour Hoffman sees himself behind him right he understands so i think the answer is yes then oh right right and then they trick tom cruise with his wife yeah so why aren't more bad guys using it they don't have the technology i don't know i guess not yeah Yeah. i do also like speaking of that how they explain the voice tech like they took great pains to explain that like they have to get the person reading very specific words and phrases Right. Getting like all the sounds they would make so they could like create other words with that. That makes sense. Yeah. That was a nice touch. Yeah. That was cool. I wrote in my notes, greatest romance of all time. What did you think of the team? Oh, I loved it. I thought they were really funny. And I mean, we all, we already knew and loved Luther. Um, yeah. It was Ving Rhames. But yeah, I liked the new additions too. A lot. And Simon Pegg is great. I think he is in the next one, too. Yeah, I think so. Um, but he's fantastic, too. Jonathan Rice Myers is great, too. So yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I love them. I was a little sad that we don't see Maggie Q or Jonathan Rice Myers again. But I guess, like, scheduling. Simon Pegg is always a delight to see. Oh, so yeah. So that was really fun. And Luther is just, you know, he's been around since the beginning. So Yeah. Yeah, he's very sweet. I think overall, like my still my biggest takeaway from this movie is just how rare it is to have a film with such a happy ending in this kind of genre where he doesn't lose his wife and he doesn't lose anybody on his team. Yeah. I really thought we were going to lose like at least Jonathan Reese Mayers or something like that. Right. And to just not undercut it, to like have an ending where he gets to leave with his wife and she knows about his secret life and it's not, you know, and here's your next mission it's it's basically go on your honeymoon and enjoy and it doesn't get undercut until the next film when it will for sure what a rarity to have a movie that allows their main character to be this happy 
in the end. I really love this movie. I think it's so satisfying on so many levels, but especially like the happiness level and like the romance and without sacrificing any of the action. Yeah, um, I completely agree. We didn't even talk about the the action scenes in China where he's like swinging from one building to the other building and like oh yeah, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Or the, like where he swings into a building, crashes onto the glass and is like a kind of woozy and he looks up the janitor is sort of like, what's going on? And then the wind pulls him back out. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, this is just a great movie in the sense that it's both, I feel like it's both a blockbuster movie, um, which I say because I did see this in theaters with my dad when it came out, which I always forget. And then I always remember whenever I watch it, just being like, oh, right. I think I saw this. Um and then also just being a really, really, really solid movie. I think I know, but I'm going to ask anyway. Out of uh, five trash can fires, how many trash cans would you give this? I think it's going to be a five. I really love this movie. I I think the stakes are incredibly high, but it's emotional and it's sweet, but it's scary and fun. So yeah, this is a five for me. What about you? 100% of five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of Mission Impossible 3. Next week, we'll be back with Rush Hour. Um, So if you want to watch it beforehand, this is a great time. Otherwise, we'll be spoiling it. In the meantime, if you're enjoying this podcast, please go on Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars and write a written review. We need your help more than ever. So please go and write a review if you're enjoying this. And if you have movie suggestions, you can email those to ladiesgetaction at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at Ladies Get Action. Rin, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Rin Olson. That's R-I-N-O-L-S-S-O-N. Rebecca, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Ringley Casting. Until next time, get get some some action. action.